is Pilates enough? We're going to break it down today. I'm going to give my honest opinion about Pilates. I'm going to talk about it as objectively as I can. I'm going to talk about if and when there's a place for Pilates and how it affects your body. So welcome to Fit Body Happy Joints. My name is Shannon. For this episode, I'm taking a bit from a blog that Peyton wrote. One of our instructors wrote for the Evla website. She used to be a Pilates reformer teacher. I used to teach Pilates. And so we're taking a bit from that blog post. And then I'm just kind of taking a bit from my own personal experience, taking Pilates, teaching Pilates from what I see on Instagram, all the things. But before I start this episode, I want to say that it is never my goal to bash anyone. I know we have lots of awesome Pilates instructors who listen to the podcast. It is never my goal to make anyone feel wrong or that their workout choices are bad or useless or anything like that. That is never, ever my goal. So I do not want anyone to feel like they're doing something wrong if they enjoy Pilates or if they teach Pilates or whatever. But if I had to be completely honest, I am actually someone who prefers Pilates over other forms of exercise. I used to teach Pilates, like I said, mat Pilates, and it always felt so right and good for my body. But I've come to learn that the reason I enjoy Pilates is that I enjoy that satisfying muscle burn in ways that my body feels safe and stable. Like my nervous system doesn't feel on edge. I feel like I can really have good quality muscular output to the muscle I'm trying to target. And I don't feel completely fried and depleted afterwards. That is what I enjoy. So I think Pilates is really good about that, about giving you that satisfying muscle burn without frying you. However, I do think that many Pilates methods can fall short in driving physical change or hypertrophy since there often isn't enough mechanical load and the exercises are often not taken close enough to failure. Again, I'm going to talk about all of this in detail in this episode today, but the good news is that you still can have workouts that don't fry you and are also effective for body composition or building muscle. You can have a hypertrophy routine where you're lifting weights, but you can choose exercises that have a lot of ground and wall support like we do in Evlo. So your joints feel supported and your nervous system feels safe and stable, which is ultimately, I think one of the things that many people are searching for when they seek out low impact movement like Pilates, they don't want to feel fried. They want their joints to feel safe and stable, and yet they still want that satisfying muscle burn. So you truly can kind of have the best of both worlds. This is what we try to do in Evlo. We try to choose exercises that are going to be effective for driving hypertrophy and yet still give your nervous system that stable, safe feeling so you don't feel completely fried and depleted and your joints hurt after your workout. So here's the plan for today. I'll talk about why Pilates is getting so popular. We'll talk pros and cons and what Pilates is actually doing from your body physically. And I'll get into when to do Pilates based on your goals. So first Pilates is super popular right now. I see it all over the internet. And I think that this is for a few great reasons and some reasons that I don't think are so great, mainly marketing. One of the reasons that I feel this shift away from high intensity workouts and towards kind of low impact, curious workouts is that during COVID, a lot of people were forced to take a step back from their routines, including a lot of like higher intensity bootcamp fitness classes or whatever it may be. And this forced hiatus, I think made people realize, 
oh my gosh, I feel so much better by taking out all of this high intensity exercise. Maybe I don't have to do this in order to be fit. I think it kind of opened people's eyes. It got them to slow down. It got them to realize that they were unintentionally maybe wrecking their bodies. I think that that forced break made people more open to the idea that maybe there's another way. I think there was that. And then I think combine that with an overall emphasis from really science-based and research-based fitness leaders talking about how frequent high-intensity workouts are not good for us long-term. They burn out our bodies from a joint and hormonal perspective. They create all these issues and they are 100% not necessary for body recomposition or body composition or health or any of that. So I'm really happy to see this shift, but I also do still think that we have a long way to go because I know there's so many who are still going to their hour long boot camp classes every single day, not taking any days off, running themselves into the ground and thinking that that's necessary. And maybe even it's you who are listening and you are kind of curious into this low impact or low intensity world, but you're afraid that you're not going to see the same results if you cut out your really intense workouts. So maybe you've been curious about Pilates, but again, you're worried that Pilates isn't going to be effective or it's not going to do anything. And I think that's kind of where Evlo bridges the gap between all of these things is we still have the goal of body composition by gaining muscle, but it's just not as systemically stressful or we don't bias central fatigue. We bias what's called peripheral fatigue, or we're looking at the muscles rather than fatiguing your whole system. So anyways, it's no one's fault. If you feel like you're struggling to get away from those high intensity boot camp classes. It's just that that's what we've been conditioned to believe works. And I do think that much of the fitness industry is antiquated. And I think that, well, first off, a lot of it is based in marketing and advertising, not in science. But I also think that it's a little bit behind. I think that a lot of the fitness industry still has to catch up with the idea of how can we work our bodies smarter, not harder. So that's the first reason that I think Pilates is getting popular is because people are getting curious about this new lifestyle, so to speak, of like less stress, more in tune with yourself, maybe a little bit slower, maybe a little bit more intentional, which I absolutely love. I think the second reason that it's getting popular is because many people have switched from high intensity to low intensity. And because of the subtraction of all that high intensity, they will be feeling a lot better. Kind of like what I alluded to earlier with the idea that a lot of people switched over and they're like, whoa, I will never go back to grinding my body into the ground like I was before. So because they are feeling so much better from switching from high intensity to something like Pilates, they're attributing Pilates to this shift of them feeling better, even though Maybe it wasn't Pilates necessarily, but the subtraction of all the high intensity and all the hit that was actually allowing their body to adapt to their workouts because they're not running on E. So in other words, it, they could have switched from high intensity to walking or high intensity to bar or high intensity to yoga and have felt better not because that new form of exercise was the magic pill necessarily, but more because of the subtraction of all the intensity that wasn't allow their bo- allowing their body to heal. So although I'm happy to see so many people transitioning to Pilates and being more gentle on their bodies, 
I think so much of the marketing around Pilates is starting to get just as damaging as any other fitness marketing. I'm noticing a lot of this, this method changed my body in two weeks or do these Pilates exercises to tone up your arms or these Pilates workouts will snatch your waist or shrink your waist or whatever it may be. I think all of it is just clickbait and it's empty promises that the fitness industry has been using to draw you in and sell you on something for decades. But now instead of using it to market a program where you're working out for 80 days straight, high intensity, they're just doing it for Pilates. So it's all the same junk selling you on your insecurities, just packaged and presented differently. And I know that seems kind of harsh. And I know for a fact that there are so many Pilates methods that are not falling into this marketing at all. I've seen so many great Pilates methods that are preaching, exercising for to feel good, for strength, to improve your endurance, all of those things that I think are in integrity. But I do think it's important to understand that Pilates is not like a magical pill that's going to immediately transform your body in the matter of a couple of weeks. So the purpose of this episode is to not talk bad about Pilates. I actually think Pilates can be great depending on your goals and on your fitness levels and preferences. My hope is to call out what Pilates is actually doing for your body and help shed some light on the advertising around it so you can decide, yes, it's something that I want to invest my time in and money because if you're going to a Pilates studio, they can be very expensive. Or if you want to focus on something else based on your goals and preferences and fitness level. So let's start with some background. Joseph Pilates initially developed this system during World War I as a way for injured people to be able to exercise. So he kind of rigged up his first apparatus using springs from a hospital bed for resistance. And then once he moved to New York City, he became connected to the New York Ballet and the relationship between the dance world and Pilates begun. So as it functions today, there are so many different forms and types of Pilates. Most can be separated between classical Pilates and modern takes on Pilates. So Pilates can be performed in a number of different ways and using different tools, apparatuses. There's mat Pilates, there's reformer, there's tower, there's Cadillac, there's chair, there's barrel. So because there are so many different forms of Pilates, and some types of exercise might look like Pilates, but not call themselves Pilates. It can all get very confusing for the consumer. And I'm not here to sift through what is considered Pilates and what's not considered Pilates. But because there are so many different forms of quote unquote Pilates or something that looks similar to Pilates, it's really hard to draw absolutes. And so I don't, I'm going to say this over and over. There are no absolutes with this, with what I'm going to tell you today. All of this is just generalization, generalization. So I think that's really important to remember. So let's get into some pros and cons. Some pros to start. Most classical Pilates classes are both low impact and low stress. So low impact on your joints and low systemic stress, meaning you aren't likely to feel all broken down afterwards. One of the leading arguments I see on social media for Pilates is that the classes are low impact. Because of the apparatus used or the exercises used in your class, this is generally true. You typically will not see a lot of jumping or high impact moves in a traditional Pilates class. 
for people with joint pain, limiting high impact moves while establishing strength and endurance and muscle engagement and body awareness can often be very beneficial. These classes typically don't overstress your entire system. They tend to avoid excessive what's called central fatigue. So when your whole system feels exhausted, like you need to take a nap, a lot of times Pilates classes will not stress your overall system very much. So for people that are really stressed out or again, injured, and we don't want to add a bunch of additional stress to their system, Pilates can be a great option. A second pro that I really like is that if you're new or untrained, you may see results when adopting a Pilates routine. Traditional Pilates can be a great point of entry to exercise for people who don't have a consistent exercise routine. Someone who is not regularly exercising and hasn't already established strength in certain exercises will most likely both note strength and potentially some muscle gain from many forms of exercise, Pilates included. Especially when under the guidance of a certified Pilates instructor, Pilates can be a safe and effective way to establish a fitness routine or get yourself going. So that's pro number two. Pro number three is that a lot of times it'll improve your mobility. Improvements in mobility may come as a result of improved stability and reduced overall systemic stress. Again, if you're coming from a high intensity program where you're just kind of slamming your body into the ground, when you slow down, improve your body awareness, improve your stability via lots of the exercises in a Pilates class, a lot of times your mobility will improve because your nervous system feels safe. Tightness is always a function of your nervous system feeling unsafe. So when you can improve stability, improve muscle contraction, decrease overall inflammation and stress, a lot of times your mobility will also improve. So that's pro number three. And then number four is that many Pilates classes include neuromuscular re-education for the abdominals. What does this mean? We have different layers of our trunk or of our abdominal muscles, and many people get disconnected from these layers because of our lifestyle, maybe postpartum. If your core work is overdone, a lot of times you can get disconnected to these muscles. Many Pilates goers get very connected to their abdominal muscles. Pilates methods spend a lot of time with core work, which I think can be overdone. I'll talk about here in a moment. But since it is so common for us to become disconnected to the various levels of our abdominal muscles by incorporating breath work and very specific cueing that a lot of Pilates instructors will do, a lot of times Pilates classes can improve the brain-body connection to the abdominals and allow you to better contract your abdominals. And this reconnection can allow for improved strength and even some hypertrophy changes in the trunk. So those are the pros. I'm sure there's more. Again, no absolutes here, but those are just the immediate ones that come to mind. So my my pros are, number one, low stress on your system, which is often so good for so many of us since we tend to have an overly stressed out culture, especially in the U.S. Number two, Pilates can be a great starting place for newbies. Number three, Pilates can oftentimes improve mobility and stability, especially if you're coming from a HIIT program where your body is overly inflamed. And then lastly, Pilates can be good for neuromuscular connection to the abdominals. Now let's go into cons. Most Pilates exercises are generally targeting your endurance fibers 
And some exercises may not provide enough resistance for hypertrophy or visual change of the muscle. Your type one muscle fibers are the smaller muscle fibers that make up a muscle structure along with your type two muscle fibers. You've got type one fibers and type two muscle fibers, and you've got different subtypes of your type two muscle fibers. But for today's episode, just type one and type two, that's what we'll focus on. Type one muscle fibers are more of our endurance muscle fibers and are slow to fatigue. These muscle fibers recycle very quickly and can typically be tapped back into after just a few moments of rest. So these are the type of fibers that are generally recruited with endurance activities like long walks, long bike rides, long jogs. These are generally targeting or using your type one muscle fibers. Certainly not bad or wrong to use these type one muscle fibers, and we want these to be strong as well. However, without loading your type two muscle fibers, which are the larger muscle fibers that make up more of the mass of the muscle, muscle hypertrophy will be fairly difficult. Now there will be certain exercises in Pilates that can build muscle very effectively. It just depends on how much load that muscle has to resist. So I'll give you an example, a reverse Nordic curl, or we call them matrix in our method. It's like you're, you're kneeling and you kind of lean back that exercise right there is actually more load to the quads than a heavy squat because of the mechanics of the exercise. And because the tibia or the lower leg is 100% active since it's completely parallel to gravity or parallel to the ground. I'm not going to get too much into levers right now, but because this exercise is so effective, you don't need any extra resistance in order to effectively load the quads and thus grow the quads. So even though this is a Pilates kind of exercise, or maybe some methods use it, some methods don't, and it's floor-based and it's body weight, that does not mean that it's not effective for growing muscle because of the mechanics of the exercise. So that exercise, if you see it in a Pilates class, absolutely great for hypertrophy. Another example is ball crunches, something that we do in our method a lot. Significant load to the abdominals, even with body weight, and will absolutely drive hypertrophy. So there's no absolutes, but many Pilates exercises, like for example, sideline leg circles that you're doing for minutes on end or donkey lifts that you're doing for minutes on end or body weight arm circles. Yes, those exercises may burn. I'm going to talk about that here in a moment, but they might not be enough resistance to be physically changing the muscle. They're probably more targeting your type one muscle fibers, which are for endurance, but not necessarily changing the size of the muscle. So that's con number one is that Pilates, most Pilates exercises primarily target type one muscle fibers. Con number two is that you may be overusing muscle groups if you're going to classes every day. Although endurance fibers recover much quicker and you could probably get away with working them more frequently, if you have created muscle damage of any kind, you will likely need more than one day to recover. But if you're going to, let's say a reformer class every day that's working abs and glutes and shoulders every single day, you're probably going to start to feel broken down due to overuse, even though the class is low impact. Even though you're not jumping around, even though the class is low intensity, you can still experience overuse issues. In particular, I think a lot of Pilates methods place way too much emphasis on the trunk muscles, the core muscles, specifically the abdominals. Your abdominal muscles are just like any other muscle in that they need work and can be taken close to failure, but they also need adequate recovery in between sessions Otherwise, inflammation can build and issues like back pain, hip pain, et cetera, can can arise. So I spoke with Dr. Amelia 
last week who is a pelvic floor PT about this, but over bracing and over flexing your abdominals is not necessary or recommended. They're just like any other muscle. If you were constantly bracing and flexing your jaw, for example, you start to develop TMJ, your jaw probably doesn't feel very good. Your neck probably will suffer as well. Surrounding areas will start to feel it. But for some reason, the fitness world has decided that abs are different than any other muscle and we need to work them more frequently and, or they need to be quote unquote on and contracted at all times. The abs don't need to be hanging on and braced for dear life with every single exercise. In fact, I don't recommend that again. Last week we talked about how to breathe when you're not targeting your trunks directly, when you're not targeting your abdominals directly, how to breathe in other exercises, but just flexing them and bracing them at all times is not recommended constantly sucking in or constantly bracing your core or engaging your core when you're working legs or when you're working arms or doing an excess of abdominal exercises can start to lead to back issues, hip issues, and other issues, and truly is not the most effective route for actually building strength and muscle in the abdominals. Again, the abdominals are like any other muscle and that we want to fatigue them. We want to use them, but we want to program our workouts so that we're not using them every single day. But many Pilates methods are doing ab exercises in every class. They're really, really burning out your abs and you're never really giving those trunk muscles much of a break. So that's con number two is that I think you can overuse muscles, which can cause joint issues, even though the classes are low impact and low intensity. And then the third con I can think of, which kind of goes into this next thing nicely is that low impact does not always mean joint friendly, just like jumping is not inherently bad for your joints. Low impact is not inherently good for your joints. I've had so many past physical therapy patients who were frustrated when they switched to low impact workouts and their body still hurt. This definitely depends on the exercises within your workouts. If you're spending a good amount of time on your wrists, your wrists probably aren't going to feel great. Or if you're doing really complex planking moves, your spine might not feel great. It also depends on the frequency that you're going to certain classes. If you're overusing your body because you're going to classes every day and they're working the exact same muscle groups and not providing any recovery time, your joints probably are going to feel overused. Your body is not going to feel great, even though you're not jumping at all, even though the classes are totally not impact. So just because something is low impact doesn't necessarily mean it's going to feel better on your joints. I think that's a big misconception. Another con is that complex moves are generally not the best for muscle hypertrophy. If you were to look on Instagram, a lot of reformer exercises shown on social media are the more complex multi-joint movements where there's a lot to stabilize and a lot to focus on. I know for a fact that this is not every reformer Pilates class, but unfortunately this is what gets portrayed on social media. So I think it's important to talk about this because that's what the consumer is seeing. So if you're a Pilates instructor who teaches reformer and you're like, that's not what we're doing in class. I 100% believe you. And I know that this is true, but I think that we need to speak to what the consumer is seeing a lot on social media. So I'll see a lot on social media of someone doing a plank with their feet on the carriage, and they've got one leg lifted and then they're pulling the opposite knee towards their chest all while trying to hold their body up in a plank. And these movements can potentially be good for stabilization and will for sure feel hard, which I'm going to talk about in a moment, but they can often miss the mark when it comes to 
individual targeting of a muscle. And when it comes to hypertrophy or actually employing some physical change in your body. And this is because each muscle has a unique lever and position in which it is most optimally loaded. Exercises that focus on targeting your whole body and a lot of muscle groups at once will inevitably under target or underload some muscles while overloading others. If you've ever done that exercise, you might be trembling and shaking and your whole body might feel like tired, but maybe you didn't necessarily get to failure in any one specific muscle group. It's kind of just like spreading the workout through your whole body, whereas everything is getting worked. So nothing is really getting worked very effectively. So choosing an exercise that claims to work everything at once may not be working anything very specifically. When our nervous system has more to focus on, it has a decreased ability to send signals to specific muscle groups because your body's just trying to keep you safe. So when it's like, ah, I've got to hold myself up so that I don't fall and like, you know, knock my teeth out. And I, I got to make sure that I'm keeping my shoulder joint stable because I don't want to hurt my neck. And oh, I got to think about unclenching my jaw. I got to flex my abs as hard as I can. I've got to make sure my foot's not going to slip. There's a lot going on, a lot for your nervous system to focus on. So you don't actually get quality muscular output. It can dampen your motor output to the muscle you're actually trying to target. And it means that you have to do additional movements in addition to the complex movements you're doing just to drive hypertrophy to the specific tissue that you're trying to change. So again, the argument is that every move of a Pilates class is working your whole body. I heard someone say that recently. Pilates works your whole body. You're not just working biceps. You're not just working quads. You're working everything all at once at the same time. And therefore it's efficient and time-saving. That's the argument. But if everything is working to stabilize and keep you from falling, you may not get to failure in one specific muscle group because there's just too much going on. You're more focused on holding your body up and not hurting yourself than actually producing quality muscular output. So (laughs) to summarize the pros and cons before I move on to some myths, there are different Pilates methods. So it's really hard to generalize about all of them or speak in absolute. So please don't think I'm doing that. But I do think that many Pilates methods can be good for muscular endurance and stability. I think newbies can also benefit from starting Pilates to gain some body awareness and they might even see some, some hypertrophy gains. Newbies will generally see gains from almost any form of exercise. So it may as well be something that's relatively safe. Like Pilates is generally pretty safe. Of course I'm biased. And I think that the Evo foundations program is also super effective for newbies because it's form heavy. And we're getting you into lifting, which is where I would probably send you eventually if you're coming from Pilates. So you might as well start out with that right away. But that's just, of course, my bias. (laughs) Um, But if someone prefers Pilates and wants to start there, I think that's great as long as they are doing a program that's structured and they're not overworking the same muscle groups each day. If you're not new to exercise and you're coming from HIT and you start Pilates, you'll likely feel better and you may even see your inflammation drop and you may even lose some muscle, which make you, which may make you appear overall smaller, quote unquote. But I think that this is less because of the Pilates and more because of the subtraction of the high intensity work. But Pilates itself is generally targeting endurance fibers. Again, not every exercise and not all methods. So you may not be doing much in the way of changing body composition, since exercise's role in body composition is primarily muscle gain. 
We'll talk about toning and kind of fat loss here in a moment. So those are overall the pros and cons. I want to get into some myth busting, and this is more of the marketing around Pilates that I take issue with. And I think it's important to educate the consumer on these things so that you can kind of go in with eyes wide open. So the first myth is that Pilates will make you long and lean. The length of your muscle cannot be changed. It's got a fixed origin and a fixed insertion. Your muscles anchored to the bone at the proximal and distal attachment sites. And these two places are fixed. So Pilates is not making a muscle longer. I think many think that it will help you achieve the illusion of looking longer since Pilates claims to create lean looking muscles instead of bulky looking muscles, but muscles grow or shrink. They may grow less or slower from a Pilates method, but they aren't shaped differently because you're choosing Pilates type movements and low resistance high reps. So someone may come to Pilates and see some minimal muscle growth, then simply maintain that since progressive overload is often limited in Pilates methods. So Pilates doesn't make you longer. Secondly, leanness or the percentage of body fat someone has is primarily altered through diet, not exercise. We often overestimate the effect of exercise on our leanness and underestimate the effect of diet. It's not Pilates itself that is significantly contributing to someone's leanness, but rather a combination of their genetics, their background of activities. Many former dancers tend to kind of lean into Pilates and how someone is eating. So leanness is generally not because of Pilates. It's because of diet and genetics and those things. And then thirdly, this statement that Pilates will make you look long and lean kind of amplifies fitness culture's call for us to be our smallest selves instead of us to be our healthiest selves. It creates an unjustified fear around lifting weights, thinking that lifting weights is going to give you that blocky, bulky look and Pilates will give you this long, lean, feminine look. It really loses sight of the importance of building muscle, especially in our 20s and 30s, but not even especially in our 20s. Our whole life, we all need to be building muscle because we lose it as we age. This is not to say that muscle growth and fat loss can't happen simultaneously or that aesthetic goals are bad or wrong. I think it just makes me a little bit angry because the fitness consumer does not know these things because they've been marketed that Pilates will make you look this way. Even though a lot of the people that are teaching those Pilates methods know very well that number one, maybe their genetics allow them to stay lean pretty easily. And then number two, a lot of them are really focused on their diet and many are not talking enough about that. They're attributing their Pilates method to making them look long and lean, even though they very well know that that is not the case. So I just think it's a little predatory. And I think that it's important to shed light on these things. If you're going into a Pilates method, another misconception around Pilates in the same vein is that it will quote unquote tone your body. Pilates often markets that it'll tone your body. And I've talked about this in other episodes that this tone aesthetic is coming from losing fat and gaining muscle or losing fat and being able to see the existing muscle more easily. Fat loss is mainly diet and muscle comes from exercise and diet. So workout, a workout alone will not give you that tone aesthetic and Pilates is no different with one exception newbies who already have a low body fat percentage. 
Because as I said earlier, someone who's new to exercise will generally see muscle gain relatively easy, no matter what type of exercise they're adding Pilates included. Think about these supermodels who praise Pilates for their toned aesthetic, but it's because they're going from nothing to something and they gained a little bit of muscle and that muscle was instantly visible because they already had a low body fat percentage. So these are likely to be the magic pill testimonials that get circulated and blown way out of proportion on social media, which are over glorifying the results from Pilates and making the average consumer think that, Oh, if I just do Pilates, then I'll look like that supermodel. Again, I'm not saying Pilates is bad, but understanding what it is and isn't doing for your body will help you make an educated decision about if it's the right form of exercise for you. Another misconception is, well, Pilates is hard. So if it's hard, that must mean it's effective or Pilates burns. So it burns. So that must mean it's effective or Pilates makes me really sore. So that must mean it's effective. None of that is necessarily true. And let me explain. First off, there's nothing wrong with a little soreness and there's nothing wrong with that burning sensation. In fact, we prefer sometimes to be a little sore. If it's, if soreness doesn't come, it doesn't mean that you didn't have a good workout, but if it did come, it doesn't mean you had a good workout study show. It's not a super reliable indicator of your workouts effectiveness. And we want that burn to be there because the burn is correlated with muscle growth. But as I've talked about in a past podcast, number 84, if you want to go back and listen to that one, muscle burn is due to metabolic stress. And although super high reps will burn and will certainly feel quote unquote hard, super, super high rep is generally inferior for muscle growth. Studies show that there's a minimum amount of resistance, about 30% of your one rep rep max that is required to see muscle growth. And that exercise has to be taken close to failure. So this isn't to say that you should never do high rep training. I love adding in a little bit of high rep training. I love doing drop sets after an exercise that does mechanically load the muscle, kind of gives that extra metabolic stress. So for example, a lot of times we'll do donkey lifts after we do something like Bulgarians getting close to failure. So we're getting that little extra metabolic stress or that burn at the end, but we're not basing most of our training on the super high rep type of training. Metabolic stress may be a small contributor. So that burn may be a small contributor to muscle growth, but the burn is not the primary driver of muscle growth. Mechanical load is the primary driver. So although you're squeezing and engaging your muscles, which is great, unless you have the proper mechanical load, you may not be moving the needle much for muscle growth. So just doing donkey lift type exercises may burn but it may not be enough mechanical load to drive physical change in the muscle. Now, as far as soreness, you will for sure be sore from a Pilates workout, especially if you're new. But like I said earlier, soreness is shown to be a poor indicator of a workout's effectiveness. Soreness will often happen when you do a new type of activity, but it doesn't always mean that that activity was more productive. So soreness is one of those things that I'm like, it's cool if it's there. And if it's not there, don't overstress it. I think it's one of those things that you just don't put a lot of weight on. And then about Pilates being hard, many Pilates moves take a lot of body awareness and stability, which will definitely feel hard and challenging for many people. It's like challenging in a different way than like a hit class is challenging. For example, an exercise where you're holding your body up in a plank with, you know, you got that one leg on the carriage and it's moving the carriage in and out. The other leg is just holding up stationary. Like I was talking about earlier, that is hard. But like I said earlier, 
that may not be the best choice for muscle growth or physically changing any muscle. Because since there's a lot going on, you may not be able to get to failure within any of those muscle groups. You may just be putting in a lot of effort all over your body without a huge payoff. You may be better off just putting your back flat on the carriage, stabilizing your spine, taking the shoulders out of it, and just focus on getting to failure in the abdominals or just focus on, you know, stabilizing the trunk and moving the arm to get close to failure in the shoulder. So kind of pick one or the other instead of trying to do everything at once. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that reformer machines have a ton of potential. I think you could design a class that's focused on one muscle group at a time that limits a lot of extra moving parts that stabilizes body parts that aren't moving or working that chooses enough resistance so that you're getting close to failure within shorter periods of time, instead of trying to work one muscle group for minutes and minutes on end, which generally just targets your endurance fibers, um, do set work to get sufficient volume. So you're working the glutes for um, about a minute or minute and a half, rest the glutes, work a different muscle group, where glutes are resting, come back to glutes and kind of set work. You could program each class so that the students who are taking multiple classes per week aren't overusing their muscles, specifically their abs. So if you're looking for a program that's going to be effective and drive hypertrophy, I think that reformer Pilates machines could have a lot of potential, but those would be the things that I would look for. So those are pros, cons, and myths. I want to finish by talking about is Pilates enough based on your goals? If you're looking to move your body, feel good, not overstress your body, have some community because you're going to an in-person class, maybe maintain some lean muscle mass. I think Pilates can be great. Or maybe you're using Pilates as an adjunct to your training. Maybe you're lacing in some classes here and there, or maybe you just enjoy Pilates. I think those are all great reasons to carry on. I don't see Pilates as a recovery day activity. That's a question I get a lot. People are like, well, I do Evola five times a week and then I go to Pilates on Saturday and Sunday as my recovery days. And although a lot of Pilates classes are primarily targeting those type one muscle fibers, it still can be stress on your muscles. So when you have a recovery day, you want less stress on your muscles and on your system so that your system can go in and build the muscle. Cause remember muscle is built in the recovery, not in the workout. So if you're an Evola member who wants to lace in a Pilates class here and there, you could try taking a Pilates class instead of Friday's full body class. But I would caution you against doing this every week because two things. Number one, you might not get the same result since that Pilates class may not be loading muscles as effectively as our full body class. And number two, let's say you go to a full body class on Friday, but we worked glutes on Thursday. And so you're working glutes on Thursday with us. And then you're going to take your Pilates class on Friday and you're also working glutes with them. So you could be overworking muscles. So what you could do if you're an Evelyn member and you want to lace in a Pilates class, like once a month or something like that, what you could do is take your recovery day on Friday, then take the Pilates class on Saturday, take another, another recovery day on Sunday, and then start back in with your Evlo program on Monday. So that could be an option for you. I think in general, don't overthink it. Those are just ideas. If you're lacing it in here and there, usually you're going to be fine. But again, just things to consider and make sure that you're paying attention to your own body and how it's responding. If your goal is body composition changes, is Pilates enough? 
I truly think that most Pilates, again, no absolutes, but most Pilates methods will provide limited results since muscle growth will be limited. And remember, if body composition changes are your goals, you'll want to focus on nutrition for the fat loss and resistance training for the muscle build. Like I said earlier, newbies may see some gains from Pilates, but I think it can be difficult to progressively overload some muscle groups, especially in a group training class, while other muscle groups like abs may be getting overworked. Now, if you're taking private Pilates lessons on the reformer, that might be a different story. They might be able to progressively overload you more. But I do think that if you're just going to group classes or you're taking classes on YouTube, your body composition changes will likely be limited. Here's my bias. I don't think most Pilates methods are enough for women who want to build lean mass. And my bias is that women need to have a routine that will build lean mass. We're afraid to build lean mass because we think we're going to get bulky. But I think that as women, it's already challenging enough to gain lean mass. And we have to be pretty conscious of getting enough protein and consistently training and progressively overloading muscles using an organized plan and not just randomly working out and not just working out with workouts that are only targeting endurance fibers. It's hard. It's hard to gain muscle. It takes a lot of effort. So combine the fact that it's already hard to gain muscle for most people with the fact that we are losing muscle as we age, specifically type two muscle fibers that are generally neglected in many Pilates methods. Women need to be strength training and loading muscles in ways that many Pilates methods can't offer. So remember, this is my bias. I want to be very clear about that. This is my bias, but this bias is based on a few things. Number one, my extensive research and my training as a doctor of physical therapy and as a fitness instructor and someone who used to teach Pilates. Number two is my anecdotal experience with both myself and my past physical therapy patients, and then with hundreds of you that I've talked to, and that Pilates might not be enough if body composition is your goal. And then number three, the fact that I actually prefer Pilates to weightlifting. So if I could genuinely justify Pilates only as the primary mode of exercise, I absolutely would because I just prefer it. It's just the type of exercise that feels better in my body. So if I truly was like, yes, I can justify this. I think that it would be enough for women to gain significant lean mass. I absolutely would. So that's that. I think the reformer could have some promise since you can add resistance, but I think exercise selection and the way they're formatting classes is key. Like I talked about earlier. So that's my take on is Pilates enough. I want to end with how we incorporate Pilates into Evlo. As with many different schools of exercise, we kind of put our own Evlo spin on Pilates. We kind of put our own Evlo spin on lifting, our own Evlo spin on HIIT, yoga, and also on Pilates. So our Wednesday burn class is our take on a Pilates style core class. And from the outside, it might look like Pilates. We're on the mat, uh, mat Pilates at least. We're on the mat the whole time and we're doing exercises with a ball. We're using equipment that a lot of times may be used in some Pilates classes We move slowly and target muscles like the abdominals, the obliques in the back, and occasionally add in some upper or lower body muscles. We're choosing exercises that from the outside, like I said, look like Pilates type movements, but the reason they'll drive hypertrophy is because they have significant load to the targeted muscle. And you will find that you'll generally get close to failure within 60 to 90 seconds, which in general means that you are hitting both your type one and your type two muscle fibers. 
So one of the biggest differences is that we're doing set work where we're doing something like a ball crunch for 60 to 90 seconds, for example, and then supersetting that with back work or working another muscle while the abdominals rest and recover. And then we come back to abdominals again, and we repeat that circuit several times before we go to the cool down versus many Pilates methods will work a muscle like once a class for like minutes and minutes straight, which will burn, but will generally be more endurance. And then maybe they won't come back to it again. So they're not getting the volume in one single workout. So just to summarize everything in a few words, if Pilates feels good for you and it's what's going to keep you consistent, please keep going. I think it can be a great starting place for newbies, although I'm biased and I think newbies can also start lifting right off the bat and feel really good doing that. But I think most methods are probably not loading muscles enough to drive significant hypertrophy gains or to offset normal loss of aging. Some Pilates methods, and especially depending on your genetics, might be enough for you to gain a little bit of muscle and then maintain that. But I think for most of us, we generally need more resistance than what Pilates can offer. Again, no absolutes. I'm just speaking in generalizations here. As with all my content, this is never to make anyone feel wrong or that some type of movement is bad and you shouldn't do it. My goal is only to educate because there is so much marketing and advertising that promises certain things. So the fitness consumer gets very confused, especially if you're on social media, it gets very confusing and it can sometimes boil my blood. I need to take a little break from social media this week. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, the only things going viral are these quick fixes that are not science-based at all. <laughs> Anyways, I won't go off on a tangent, but I think that when you can understand what's happening with certain forms of exercise, you can choose the type of exercise that feels best for you and that aligns with your goals. So that is today's episode. Remember that you can now follow us on social media, fit body, happy joints. We have an Instagram and a TikTok now. So go follow us and say hi. And if you have listened to this podcast and you enjoy it, I would so appreciate a rating and review. First off, the last time I asked for this, I got so many of you who rated it and reviewed, and I cannot thank you enough. Thank you so, so much. There are still thousands of you listening who listen every week and not left a review. So if you, if that is you, no problem, no shame. I'm always, I do the same thing. I have to be reminded to leave reviews for the podcast I love, but we do not take advertising for this podcast. We don't plan to take advertising. I do this completely for free. It takes me hours each week to create these episodes in order to help you. So if you wouldn't mind leaving a short review, I would be eternally grateful. Thank you all for listening. We will see you all next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now.